Hey everyone, it's Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, I'm joined by Tim Lockie, the CEO and founder of The Human Stack, and Nicole Leffer, an AI marketing consultant who's been a senior marketing executive for over 18 years. Today's conversation is special, not only because we have two brilliant guests here in the studio, but we're also bringing you a conversation on the AI frenzy. No matter where you look, AI has taken over the conversation and its impact on jobs, its impact on our society, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, has been the headlines for months now since ChatGPT launched back in November of 2022. And I brought Tim and Nicole together so that we can talk specifically about how nonprofits should be using AI within their fundraising and marketing strategy. We cover a lot of ground and it's both high level on AI overall, but also super practical. So listen in for both insights on how to talk about AI within your organization, but also to streamline your workflow even this week. Let's dive into our conversation with Tim and Nicole. Today, we're going to be talking about a hot topic, and that is AI, but specifically, how should nonprofits use AI within their fundraising and marketing strategies? There's a lot of layers and dimensions to this topic, and so I'm excited that I was able to bring two of the thought leaders that I lean on and look for as it relates to data and tech and even uh, a new friend who has spent a lot of time invested in AI and is here to share in applications for or the applications for nonprofits. So we're going to get our panelists up here on stage so we can dive into the conversation. First and foremost, I want to welcome Tim Lockie uh, to the stage. Hey, Tim, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Noah. It's great to see you. Absolutely. Tim is the CEO and founder of The Human Stack and is also the co-host of the Why It Matters podcast. If you love podcasts, definitely check out that the conversations he hosts uh, with leaders in the nonprofit space around all things nonprofit tech. Uh, I also want to welcome Nicole Leffer to the stage. Hey, Nicole, thanks for being here. Hey, thank um, you so much for having me. Nicole is a marketing executive and also an um, AI marketing consultant, which is I'm excited to have you here and I'm excited to learn. Uh, one thing I want to point out, y'all, is that we have some optimists and some skeptics on the call about AI. So that's a good mix that we're going to lean into. And hopefully we'll be able to speak to both of them um, throughout the conversation. I want to kind of set the stage a little bit to define like what... AI actually is and most and almost more importantly what it is not. You know, you mentioned a few tools already. We talk about AI like, you know, the movies have been talking about artificial intelligence for a really long time, so maybe that's people's frame of references. But what is AI and what is it not? Nicole, I'll let you go first. Yeah, so AI is really a wide range of things. I think right now what people are talking about is generative AI is the big thing. But in all reality, AI, there is no actual set definition. But AI is machines having the ability to think and essentially learn and continue to learn and continue to get better and better. But we, what the big conversation I'm seeing right now is mostly around what is called generative AI, which is these machines have computers having the ability to take um, 
your input and then create output from that input you have put in. And they're coming through natural language models that process human language and then predict what's supposed to come next. Um, and it's taking that natural language and it's outputting images or graphics. But there are also predictive forms of AI. So it's analyzing information to make predictions about what's going to happen. And in all reality, almost all AI is predictive. So even these generative are really just predicting what's supposed to come out. Um, so at the end of the day, machines that can predict and continue to grow and learn. Yeah, that's a great foundation. Tim, anything to add to that? Or how would you reframe that? Maybe if you were talking to a grandparent or a child, how would you describe AI to them? The only thing I want to add on to that, and I'll I'll come to the how to I would explain it to uh, an older or younger person, but I studied econometrics in when I was doing economics and have found that to be really helpful because this is AI is basically just a lot of econometrics running over and over really fast. So when Nicole is exactly right, when we're talking about predictive analysis, what it's using to predict that is just math historical functions from the past and is looking at all of these different econometric functions to try and find the most likely pattern for what's next. And the reason that's important is to know, even when it's making forward facing predictions, it is always using the past data to make those forward predictions. And so it isn't, in my mind, it isn't actually intelligence as much as it is really, really much better at us at remembering and using that memory to to look forward. So I think that, that that's the only other thing I'd, I would add to that. If I were, it's funny, when I, I was talking to my dad like a year ago about AI, and I said, what do you think about AI? And he was really surprised. And I was like, well, do you know what it is? And he was like, yeah. So we had this weird conversation. And then I realized he was, so when he was growing up on a ranch, AI meant artificial insemination. And so <laughs> that was like, that was like the most generational like shift uh, I've ever had with AI. So uh, that is, yes, completely different things. That is not the same. So I would start by saying, we're talking about computer AI, like first thing up uh, in Montana, that's probably where I would start. Um, and I probably wouldn't explain it to a 10-year-old. I'd probably ask them what it is and they would tell me. So that's the way I would work with a 10-year-old. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's funny when you start throwing around acronyms. Uh, we probably find this in, in nonprofit work. When someone comes into nonprofit for the work for the first time, we start throwing all these things around or marketing for that matter. And people are like, what the heck are you talking about? So that's a great point. So we are talking about artificial intelligence. So if you came here for a different conversation, uh, now is probably a great time to leave <laughs> uh, or stay for the better conversation. We'll see. I want to kind of take this more personal and see how you all are actually using AI today or your clients are using AI today. So Nicole, could you talk to how you're incorporating this in your workflow or what you're advising people to use it for practically? Because I think that's it's abstract up here and it's like, wow, there's all these possibilities. And I even heard uh, the head of OpenAI said, man, in the future, it could solve cancer. And I was like, what? Like, so there's all these like future predictive things that people talk about. But then there's just like the reality of actually what it's doing. So how are you using it practically today? I am using it for everything but math. Um, any kind of math, it does not get used for. Highly recommend not using it for math. Um, but I use it as a thought partner in 
almost anything that I am doing at this point. So whether it is brainstorming or loading ideas in and having it help me to generate like actual copy for what I'm doing. Um, I put, I had a presentation with CMOs right before this and I, you know, I outlined my own presentation, but then I put it into chat GPT and had it like writing my, my headline. That's the name of the talk. I had it writing, like breaking up the presentation to the slides and actually turning it into copy for the slides. And then I actually took that and uploaded the slides that I had created to um, the PowerPoint. If you do it online, has a way you can AI generate your presentation. Then I was having it give me suggestions for images for the slides. And I was going to a program called Midjourney and it made the images that went in my slides for me that were very custom to what I was talking about. I use it to write blog posts. I use it to write social media posts. I wrote website copy with it a couple of days ago. I use it to tell me what to make for dinner. So I will give it a list of ingredients that I happen to have in the house when I have no idea what I want to eat and ask for suggestions of what I should make for dinner and ask it to then give me a recipe and tutorial. And I have eaten some very interesting things. I'm not sure an AI definitely is the best one to like tell you creative ideas, but some of them have been really good and I never would have thought of them myself. But all of that is to say, I, I actually, I really try to ask myself with all of this, if I'm going to go do something, is there a way that I can leverage these tools to make it faster, easier, or better? And if there is a creative way that I can with my knowledge of these tools, I'm trying to use it because every time I use it, it helps me understand it better. It usually saves me time. It usually gives me better output at the end of the day. Yeah. So everything from writing a presentation for chief marketing officers to making dinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tim, Tim, what about you? Or how are you, how have you seen your clients or even people you have advised to use AI and even other forms of AI, not just generative? I know we we want to talk about that too, but generative is kind of what Nicole just shared. But other, what are other ways you're using it or you're, you're advising clients to use it? Yeah, I break those. Uh, to me, there's almost four categories. What I'm doing with it, what I advise others to do with it, and then AI and then chat GPT. So in the chat GPT box, I will just say that has been a game changer for me, completely a game changer. And the way I started is I was on a boring tour that I couldn't leave. And I had seen an article about chat GPT. So on my phone, I just said, write a poem about donor uh, retention. And it wrote me seven stanzas of a rhyming poem about donor retention that I was just like, okay, this changes everything. Like I just started asking, asking it to do the most outlandish things. And sometimes it was a good story that would come out of that, but often it was a new way of thinking. So exactly like Nicole's talking about, it is my thought partner. I, I now annoy people probably 40% less because I can take all of the randomness there and it doesn't care. It does not mind. And, and I'm finding that I can go back to conversations I've been having with it for a while and ask it to evaluate the conversation, come up with a new idea on that conversation, and then outline it in a table. And I've just found that so helpful to be able to just synthesize. I think this is adaptive technology for me. As an ADD person, I did not know until I started using ChatGPT, I am unable to summarize or outline before I write full copy. And so um, when I could start to prompt it, I realized, oh, everybody else can just prompt their own brain, but I can't as an ADD person. 
So this has been allowing me to do that. I've written a book proposal on it. I've done mid-journey prompts on it. I've asked it to make a workout plan. I have asked it to write a letter for someone that was grieving. Um, I've had it do a fable prompt for things. I'm just looking through like all of my chats right here. I had it do all of my messaging and pillars for a product that I'm releasing. I redid all of those again after I had a conversation with somebody um, and plugged those back in. So I'm using it for those for those reasons. I was not that interested in AI until ChatGPT, though. I mean, I was interested in it, but I wasn't using it and it didn't feel like useful on a day-to-day -day basis. Now it is open on my long vertical screen and I'm in there every day, all day, just asking it to do different things. It's great for tables, by the way. So if you need to make like a quick table, and if you need to do simple math on it, I agree on complex math, but simple math, it can do pretty well at that. <laughs> You're right. It did double check off by it. tens. Yeah, <laughs> double check the math. You're exactly right. Double check I, the math. I had ChatGPT tell me I could invest $500 and get $10,000 of dividends a month. I was like, <laughs> I wish. Yeah. It has a hard time with the, uh, the number of zeros. I will <laughs> completely agree with you on that. So, yeah. So I think people are, you know, you all are excited and we're sitting here, we're, you know, talking about how it's adaptive uh, technology helping you, Tim, and kind of your unique way of thinking. And that's being super helpful. Nicole, you're talking about how it's helping you generate things or do all of that as a thought partner. And there's a lot of excitement about that. And we even talked about the fun side of it, like asking it to do fun things and see what happens. And then the productive side. But I think people are skeptics on this. And I know there are a few on the call. And I myself are a little skeptic until I dug a little bit further into like how to train it. But one question we got asked on Tuesday about AI was, if we're all using this, and this is all of our thought partner, aren't we all just going to start thinking about the same thing? things or saying the same things or talking in the same ways. So how, how would you address that question for someone that's kind of just skeptical? Because it's like, ah, are we just going to all start thinking and doing the same things if we're all outsourcing or using the same thought partner? Nicole? So I think that what is really important to understand is that this thought partner is generating something different for every single query and every single person. It's not the same as you all Google it and you all see the same thing on Google. It is literally generating exactly based on what you put in. So if we all type in the exact same thing and are asking for super, super basic information, like we may see very similar results, but the real power in these tools is when you're giving it very specific, customized ideas that you want to expand upon that are your own. And so like one of the things that I'll do is um, maybe I'll do a virtual event and I'll take the uh, the recording of it that it's got like all my own thoughts that I'm talking about with people, like even something like this and you upload it to a program like Descript, you get the transcript out and then you have ChatGPT summarize it and you start writing, coming up with social media content or blog post ideas or fundraising appeals in the nonprofit context based off of what was in that virtual event transcript, that's all my own ideas. When I say it's a thought partner, I'm not saying it's thinking for me. I'm saying it's helping me think. And there is a huge difference. So 
I might have an hour long presentation. And what this is going to do is help me go, these are the 15 things that you could make social media posts about based on what you just talked about. And it takes me five minutes to get those ideas and then to start building them out into social media posts. But it's not intended, again, it's not intended to be like a content re- like creator itself. It's not supposed to replace our content creators. It's supposed to assist us so that we can do a better job at that. Absolutely. I think that's a good point of clarity. And I was thinking through like some sort of metaphor and I didn't get to finish it. I should have probably consulted ChatGPT to help me out. But um, I think in some ways we think about artificial intelligence still through the lens of like the uh, film industry or the media industry's interpretation that it's something else, like it's another person doing all of this stuff, like almost like a sidekick that we all can tap into. So we all are partnered with Robin. But what I'm hearing is it's actually not that. It's some sort of enhanced toolkit that makes you better, but it's still reliant on you as the inputter to be able to facilitate what that does. It's not a sidekick like a Robin. I'm trying to think of another thing. Anyone have any? I don't know any other weapons or tool belts that superheroes have, but it enhances you. Yeah. But you put it, you get out of it what you put into it. So it's garbage in, garbage out, quality in, quality out. Like, so there really is, you know, when people say it can't write well, it's like, no, no, you just haven't learned how to talk to it. And it's not an insult. It's just you need to understand what it is and is not capable of. And so like if I was doing a demo on this last call and I put in, you know, explain what a blue sky looks like. Okay, that gives you one definition, you know, one explanation. But then I edited that prompt to say, explain what a blue sky looks like to somebody who has never seen the sky right with empathy. And that export, like what that put out was a completely different experience for the person who is reading that. So it really is about how you talk to the tools and what you get out of it. Now, will it ever become something beyond that? I have no idea. But right now, it's what you put into it, you get out of it. Yeah. Tim, anything to add on this where if you're kind of a skeptic or maybe you just don't, you're like, you've kind of heard about it, you maybe messed around with it, but you're like, I don't know if this is going to work for me. What, what advice or guidance would you have for the skeptic? Yeah, be skeptical. All of us should be skeptical of technology all the time. So like... Absolutely be skeptical. That's fine. And the the part of that that is important is to say as a skeptic, okay, I want to lean into this and know what are the limits of it? What can it do well? What doesn't it do well? And so if we're talking chat GPT, again, that's one whole world. I've advised fundraising AI companies that are working with fundraising AI and they're, they run into the same issue, all of them, which is that the data is so bad, it can't, they're, they're unable to create relevant predictions in bad data. Exactly what Nicole was just saying. If you take the same idea with language and you interpret it to CRM data, you're going to run into the same issues. And so I think it's really important to say where, where is, are the limits of it? Where is it helpful? Where is it not? And I remember telling my wife the other day, I was like, I don't understand, or I think I understand finally why people are frustrated with chat GPT and other AI tools is because they don't want to bring ideas to chat GPT. They want to have chat GPT make it all for them. And that, that was a complete revelation to me because that is not how I want to work with chat GPT or other AI at all. I want to bring my ideas and actually be bringing content to it. So I'm bringing the content and it's helping me quickly refine that content and, and, you know, do the punctuation, the capitals, the spelling, like all the stuff that I don't do well, it can, it can do all of the mechanics of that. And then I threw a tool. I don't know if you've 
found this tool. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's AI PRM. And it's a, it's a plugin that just allows you to create different prompts, but at the bottom, it has an output by tone and writing style. And that has been great. So you take the same idea and then you can do authoritative and narrative styles on it or switch those two up. So you can just see like, okay, if I want this to go to one audience, it should be shaped like this. If I want it to go to another audience, it's shaped like that. I find that really helpful. So I think that's that's kind of where I would I would land is be skeptical, figure out where the limits are, and then work work within the constraints, like all creativity. This is just another, it's just a word calculator, you know? <laughs> it doesn't do the math for you. You have to know why you're using it. So yeah, hundred percent. Nicole? I think also more than skepticism, I think it's really healthy to have like a dose of anxiety about it. And I'm not trying to scare people, but I think there's like, these tools are capable of so much already and where it's going. And I'm not, I think it's really, really extraordinarily powerful. But I think especially when you're talking in like the nonprofit space and this, we need to all be aware of the societal implications. And like, we know new technologies tend to harm specific populations, right? And so like where this is going to help certain people significantly, we're at this crossroads and this inflection point where certain communities are likely to get left behind unless we are actually taking this seriously and taking steps as nonprofits that serve these communities to make sure they are not left behind because it's also a technology that has the ability to level the playing field. So if you have people that aren't strong writers because of their background or they like need to be able to translate into different types of language that they're not used to using, this is actually suddenly a technology that allows somebody who is really smart and really creative but is not a strong writer to be able to take on a job that never would have been accessible to them prior to this if they can learn these skills. Now, the flip side of that is, will it probably take some jobs away? Absolutely. And people who don't have access to learn these skills are probably going to get left behind. Um, but it's a technology that can help, like you were saying about, um, like with your ADHD, that it can help you adapt. I've heard a lot of people who are on the autism spectrum are really using it to enhance their work communications. So that's really good. It helps lift them up and gives them open, opens them to opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have already had. But there's like a double edge and I think understanding how does this have the potential to help, but also how does this have the potential to harm and what can we do in how we're using this, but also as leaders in the space that's serving specific communities, how can we make sure our communities that we serve don't get left behind in the wake of this technology? So it's not all highly wealthy, highly privileged people that benefit from it. Absolutely. And we just covered uh, three things I want to kind of like highlight for our audience. So I'll play chat GPT for now uh, is three things that just came out of this, which I think are really, really important. One is this is like any other tool. And so access and training are going to be really, really important. Just like when we said, hey, Google is this new thing. Lots of people are using Google. Okay, now I have to not only know how to, you know, there's people that are better at Google than others. Like if we set a race to find information, if you're better at Google and you know how to use Google, you're going to find that information faster or find better information. And so in the same way as we learn, you know, we've learned Zoom as a platform, we've learned Office as a platform or the internet or even Google, like we need to be trained and educated on this and really understand it. So leaning into that skepticism, but also being open-minded and curious. So I think that's really important. The other thing is around inputs. And so we're going to try to transition to like, okay, well, what's the applications of this today for people running nonprofit marketing and fundraising? 
But as you pointed out, Tim, the inputs really matter. And I think this goes back to like an age old conversation that has nothing to do with AI, which is if you don't have clean data or if you don't have clean inputs or you don't know what you're trying to do, something like this may not fully be able to help you. So how do you think about the inputs you have as you're going to this technology? So inputs, but then also just seeing this as a tool that you need to be trained on, not something you outsource things to which I think is kind of the elementary or not even like the naive view of what ChatGPT and other things are doing. So with that, I want to transition to the second part of this conversation, which, you know, crawl, walk, run is a common adoption framework where it's like, hey, we're going to start by crawling and then walking and then running. And I'd like to have us build out a crawl, walk, run plan for how nonprofits should be tapping AI. So I want to start with the crawl phase. So if someone's thinking about their fundraising and marketing strategy, what are the basic level things that they could start using either ChatGPT or other AI tools to begin doing or helping them and their teams do? Tim, I'll let you go first. And then Nicole, if you want to just add on, you're welcome. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great framework to work from. And I think that we should assume that nonprofits that are in this situation already have a fair amount of their branding done. They already have messaging. They've got pillars. They, you know, they really know what their messaging is. So I would start a chat where you load all of that into it and then start with, okay, create a 30-day content plan and, and just start there, see what it does, and then start getting more specific about that plan. So... You know, that's that's a really easy place to start is social media. Uh, the next thing I would do is I would start looking at the newsletter input. So if you're doing a newsletter every month, are you and you don't have the time and space to create segmentation that is tailored to them? This is one of the tools that could get you there. That might be a walk, not a crawl, but that that's what I would look at next. And I would ask it, um, what kind of segmentation should I be looking at? And it won't know, but it'll say something. Look at what it's asking for, read into it, and then that's the information that you want to go to your CRM. Grab that information and put it in there and then refine that question so that it starts to use your inputs and your data points to create some of that segmentation. Yeah, I think that's great. I think the key here with the crawl stage is knowing that it goes back to those inputs. Like you can give it content, you can give it your your whole about page, your mission statement. You know, I even uploaded prior to this call where I just wrote, I gave it all the questions I was going to ask you all and said, tell me what, how to describe this session, you know? And it was like, okay, here's how you would describe the session. So knowing that you can give it inputs or you can say, hey, here's my web URL. How would you describe this organization to me in a fundraising appeal letter? So yeah. there's like ways that you can just like things that you've done commonly, like just let it try to take what's publicly available about you and tell you back how it would describe it to somebody. So again, giving it inputs, I think, is a great crawl strategy. Nicole? It is important, and I want to talk about the crawl strategy, but it is important from something you said for people to understand chat, GPT specifically, since that's the thing most people are starting to dabble with and play with, cannot access the internet and was trained on the internet prior to 2021. So mm -hmm. if you give it a URL, people are getting chat GPT, they'll, they'll paste in a URL and say, tell me, like, summarize this website. It's making stuff up completely out of thin air based off of the keywords in the URL. So if your URL is like feather.com slash, you know, blog slash 
marketing fundraising ideas, it's going to spit back random marketing fundraising ideas and write it as though the blog said it. So be careful about like just giving a URL and asking it. It's a great point. The feedback. My way I do that is I just copy and paste the text from a URL and give it to give it it that way. Yeah. Um, but going into the ideas that are like some crawl phase, one, just asking chat GPT, like I ha- I want to do a fundraising appeal. I'd like it to cover, you know, these type of a concept, give me 15 ideas and then regenerate the ideas of what you could do multiple times. So just using it to brainstorm is a really good crawl. It's not asking it to actually generate the content for you, but just asking it to help you come up with brainstorming ideas because what might take you and your team hours could take it 30 seconds to give you tons of different ideas that you could do. The next thing would be, again, with trained idea, uh, trained content, asking it to help you revise your copy. So you could write a really like just a quick rough draft and then you could ask it to write this in a much better, more appealing way. You can ask it to help come up with various calls to action so that you are more likely to get a response to your fundraising appeal. And then depending on the size of the nonprofit, like if you're small and you don't have a huge list, you could have it like actually write your appeals for you. If you are a huge list and you're doing segmented, you could actually give it like what you've written and you could ask it to write very specific, like adapt it to these different segments, describe the segment you're sending to and ask it to rewrite your appeal specific to that segment. But I think the biggest thing like early on is like starting to use it to brainstorm and then just breaking it into steps. Like if something great comes out of that brainstorm, go, okay, great. Give me an outline of how I could do this. And if you like the outline, then say, okay, great. Write me the first paragraph and just start, you know, seeing what you get out of it. And you can stop with it wherever you want to in that process and you come into it. I'm just asking it to give you feedback on what you've already got. Yeah, I think that's a great point too. And given that it's responsive to you and your inputs, I think another great exercise, especially if you have a small team, is you could actually have a pre-session requirement before, let's say, brainstorming with your team to say, each of us are going to go do this. Then we're going to combine all the insights we got. And then we're going to ask it to give us more based on that input. And then you show up to a meeting and you already have, you know, a huge starting point and a jumping off point for you and your team to discuss. I think that's a great starting point. Hey, also, one other thing is if you need to A-B split test your content, like if you're more advanced with your marketing and you are A-B split testing, you could come up with the original version and give it to ChatGPT and ask it to come up with like variations on this that you could use for a split test that are the most likely to perform. So give it, you know, these criteria that I need something that is likely to raise me more money. How could I improve this for a split test to see what happens and then use that? So you're testing your own against what you've, you know, collaborated on. I'm doing, I love that idea. I'm doing that on a one of my web pages where I had ChatGPT rewrite the whole page and then created a, a split test on that. It's been really interesting. So I love that idea. I think it's great. Yeah. Just make sure, uh, like, if you do have it create content, you proof it and fact check it because t- ChatGPT does have a tendency to make things up out of thin air. So you definitely want to make sure that it is actually true, whatever you are putting out there. So it has the normal flaws of most marketers <laughs> making things up in thin air. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I um, think of it as like an entry level employee that has no experience. And like, you so you got to really check on it. Right. So I love that. Hey friends, Emily here from Feather. 
Feather's nonprofit marketing platform turns your if only wish list into reality. Feather Flights, our marketing automation tool, helps you design multi channel campaigns and automated engagement journeys. Feather is trusted by over 1,300 nonprofits, and we help you unlock more time, more results, and ultimately, more confidence with real time ROI reporting at the campaign level so you know what works, removing the guesswork from your 2023 plan. Book time with one of our digital strategists today and learn how you can unlock more in 2023 with Feather by visiting feather.co. That's feather without the last E dot C-O. Someone else mentioned, and I think this is something I know I'm this type of person. So Brianna said, one of my weaknesses is writing. I can tell you my ideas, but I can't put them in words for social media, blog posts, website content. This will be a life-changing tool for me. I know that's a huge factor for me. I communicate verbally. I consume information verbally. Like I'm very much of an audio learner type and communicator. But this is great because you can record things and then transcribe that and put that in there and then ask it to, to branch off of. I know we're using this even for our podcast interviews uh, on occasion where we say, hey, here's this podcast interview. Can you summarize it? Can you write promotion material? All of those types of things. So using audio to transcription to then using that as an input um, has been really powerful. The other thing that I know Emily, who's on this call, has been using it for is she'll take video content like this, right? And upload it to a video AI tool, um, but basically then say, hey, we want like small clips, mini clips, like 20 second clips, 30 second clips of insightful things. It'll actually pre-create the sub-segments of the video for us that then we can reuse on social. We can use an enablement material. So think about even like if you're a nonprofit and let's say someone you know, your head of programs or your CEO or founder gives like a big presentation, you might then be able to actually upload that transcript and get like small tidbits of content or summary or other data from these audio content or video content you already have. The other idea that I thought, and this is more of a walk thing, and then Tim and Nicole, I would love your walk strategies or kind of the next level, is if you have a historical library of fundraising appeals, especially if you're doing direct mail or email marketing, again, you can give it all of your best ones and have it rewrite different things. So again, you can use those historical library of inputs that are unique to your organization as a prompting training kind of mechanism as an input to ask it then for new outputs. So going back into that library of old direct mail appeals that maybe have been sitting around for three or four years, but there was that really big uh, you know appeal that did really well, bring it back out and like use that as a training input. Tim, what are other uh, strategies that you would recommend even beyond maybe, I know you mentioned some data AI tools, but what are some other walk strategies organizations can think about adopting? Yeah, I mean, I always want to point back to humans working collectively on this. And so I think some of what is helpful here is to start seeing this as a digital culture bridge for people who are maybe more intimidated by tech because it is it creates such a natural way of getting things done. So you can ask things, you can ask it and it is aware of the context both in what you've already asked before and how you're asking questions. And so I I think that the walk strategy I would look at next would be how do we disperse this across our organization so that people know when and where to use this in the work that they're doing. And that looks very different for the program team than for the fundraising team 
then for the executive team and board, then for the marketing team. And so on the marketing side of what I think walking would look like, I think it is more A-B testing. I think some of it is creating content plans that they are integrating into um, other, other pieces of work. It may be using the magic author feature. It's not actually called that. I can't remember what it's called, but magic writer or something inside of Canva so that if you're doing a lot of Canva work, you're using it as much as possible. So I would I would take a look at that, maybe some automations as, as well on that. Um, Nicole, before you go, the one question I know ChatGPT wanted to ask you all when I asked ChatGPT what questions to ask was around how can nonprofits use AI to interpret or analyze donor data? Tim, have you seen anyone doing that yet or any ways that that's been useful? Yeah, absolutely. Outside of generative, but more of like the analytics analyzation of uh, data? Yeah. So I'll talk about, I, I was saving that for the uh, run, but let me talk about that now because yeah, go for it. Um, so I worked with fundraising kit to talk about what they are doing, you know, with their AI around evaluating donor data. It is really impressive what it can do. It is always limited by the quality of data, but uh, where you have good data, you can use that to significantly improve the amount of reach and the amount um, that you are asking per funder. And it gets very detailed for which person you're asking uh, for a donation from, when you should ask for the next amount, what that next amount should be. So it really is dialed in that way. And I think that's really helpful. I had a conversation in the Human Stack office hours with uh, Dave Norris, and he he's done some incredible things with, with uh, ChatGPT by bolting on the AI in the OpenAI source on it. One of the things I think is interesting is combining generative with CRM. So what I want to see is people saying, hey, ChatGPT, who should I contact today? So that you're asking the CRM rather than the CRM telling you, because that's never really worked. There's this massive disconnect between what the CRM knows and what the leaders that are working in it know because of the gulf between insight and data. And so that I think is actually really helpful and generative. Um, and I don't think that's far off. I think that that's, that's fairly soon that it could be doing that kind of work. Yeah. And there were a few CRMs even this week um, that announced overlays, which was probably the, you know, I come from the nonprofit CRM space. So that was my first thing was like, man, if we could just like open CRM and there's just a chat box, I would be stoked about that. And there was a few CRMs that announced initial efforts to do that. Uh, I'm a HubSpot alum and HubSpot user. And so I have access to the new ChatSpot AI tool that overlays our HubSpot database. Really, really neat stuff um, already. It's not perfect, but it's interesting and it's going in that direction. On that, I'll be really interested to see like how it really performs with the technology they're actually overlaying together. And so like it's it just because it comes out doesn't mean it's going to be accurate. And so definitely double check what is coming out of these tools. I don't care how big a name the CRM is. Uh, they're not going to know until it's it's called in the AI world, it's called in the wild, like meaning real people are really using it. They're not going to have any idea how well it really performs. And so like just like you're hearing all of these unexpected things that happen with Bing once they put it into the beta that only a small number of people had access to. Just make sure you're double checking what it's telling you before you actually do it for a while until we know they've got it right. Yeah, um, yeah I was great, just great thinking job. about that, Nicole. That's such a great point. It is definitely trust, but verify. 
So Always. when you're do, when you're using this, do not be leaning into non-verifiable questions. So in other words, if you want to know, like, what are my top 10 donors? Ask it that question and compare it to a list of your top 10 donors. That, yeah, you need to, because it will make it up. That's one of the things I love about it is it'll make it up and it's your job to know if it's right or not. And I think people skip that step and just assume it is. And I think that's something you're hearing from me and Nicole. Do not trust that it is like you you do need to verify it so um but the on the walk the taking the next step on walking i think that the one of the big things i would recommend is learning how to train the chat uh, gpt on your voice so it's writing like you write um so one of the things you can do is you can give it a prompt that essentially explains to chat gpt i want you to write a voice description that explains how this writer writes give it writing samples for a specific application so that could be blog put a series of blog posts or it could be LinkedIn mm. posts that you've written. And what it will spit back is a description of the writer that wrote that post and how that writing style is. I save those. I keep them in Google Docs. Um, so I have one for LinkedIn posts. I have one for blog posts. I actually have multiple for LinkedIn posts, depending on the type of style I want those posts to be. Um, but it's really a clear description for an AI system to understand how to write like that. Then when now, if I go to write in it, like I'll give it directions of a LinkedIn post I want to write. And then I'll say, here's the information about the voice this should be written in. And I have those stored. So I don't have to train it on a regular basis. But I start pasting in those voice prompts. And it sounds a lot like me instead of like a robot computer. So that's yeah. my next step after you've started just playing with it is like, get it to talk like you. Yeah, that's super important. And I love the the hack of like, ask it to summarize this, which then gives you inputs for the future. And I know you've, uh, Tim shared one, but you, uh, Nicole's written some extensive updates on LinkedIn about this. Maybe AI wrote them for you. We won't ask. You <laughs> uh, collaborated. It usually collaborated. doesn't the whole thing. Partner. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but about how to like layer and stack prompts and questions and how you can use these types of templated prompts to give it instructions. And so again, it's like working with someone else or even working with yourself. You have to remind yourself like, oh, I'm going to write in this voice. Same type of thing. You have to remind it to do certain things you want to keep it in mind. So almost creating an AI style guide of sorts yeah. for different types of posts is a great, a great idea. That's excellent. The other thing that I would put on the, I'd put it in the walk category because I don't think most people are doing this right now. Although if you can just start this as your habit when you first start using it, so what most people are doing is when they put in their input for chat GPT, they type it in and then they get their response. And then if they want their response to change, they go down again, like under the response and they say, hey, rewrite this and change it like this and tell it what to do. And then they keep going down a long thread where they're constantly instructing it. Instead, if you hover on the right hand side of your G chat GPT, like a little edit icon will pop up. If you don't like the response as is, it's much better to just click that little icon, tell it what you basically what you've learned from how it responded. So if it said that the sky is, you said to tell it what it looks like, what the sky looks like, and it gives you a description of the sky in all different conditions, and all you really wanted was a description of a sunny blue sky 
then just edit it and go, oh, I just learned something from what it gave me. Now I actually want the prompt to be to tell me what the sky looks like on a sunny day and then re- like generate the prompt on that same initial thread. And there's a lot of reasons on how chat GPT works that I'm not going to get into the technical, but essentially that is going to improve your entire flow of everything that you put out from the entire way down instead of like going back and forth editing it. So I think yeah. going ahead and editing your prompts would be the next walk thing that I would recommend. Is that the save and submit? I have not used that. So that's such a great tip. It's game changing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You can save and sit. So like what I'll do is I'll edit, like I'll keep editing my prompts in there and save and submit, get the new generation. And then like when I hit on one that I really like, like that's yep. like, oh, this is what I, I want it to be. Then I'll regenerate that five or six times on with the regenerate button. And so you can flip through, you can scroll through on the left-hand side, you can scroll through all your prompts. And then on the bottom, when you're on that prompt, you can scroll through all the variations. So now I have like gotten to the right prompt. Now I have eight different versions to choose from with that prompt. And that's what I go from. I love it. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. That is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like that is the like how you start getting this to you don't ever go off the first thing you typed in when you're really using this stuff. It's you edit your prompts, you regenerate multiple times and you're taking the best. And the and storing a prompt model, I'm curious how you're doing that. I'm just using like a Google Doc right now. Yeah. But you know, I feel like prompt prompt saving and prompt libraries are really going to be the key in yeah. the future, right? Like that's yeah. the you That's know, the mover. I, for certain things, having prompt libraries is really important, like how to write like a voice prompt and like, you know, the training on that. But I also think that there is a key to like really just learning how to communicate with it and not needing a prompt library because I actually prefer, I don't copy prompts in very often at all other than like, I want you to generate like a train on my voice um, or like, I want you to write a cover letter for a job because like, but then you're still putting so much Yeah, it's almost context prompts right like Like, here's the context background so that you're aware of it now here's the prompt is that does that make sense yeah yeah just like overall i think it's the most important that you learn how to write prompts and communicate with it so then you can literally do anything you don't have to write find a prompt that's able to do it you write a prompt as you go, that's going to give you exactly what you want. Yeah, so I'm I talking about storing your own prompts. Yes, yeah, storing like your a own library of your own prompts. Yeah, yeah, I'm not interested in other people's yeah. prompts. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm I'm thinking. Um, so I use Superhuman for email, and they have like the snippets feature. So you just do like semicolon, and then type something you've typed previously. And if you've saved previous snippets, it'll bring them back. So I have this library of snippets based on keywords. I imagine in the future, there could be something like that embedded in something like this, where you could basically say, oh, I want to save this as a snippet. And so you could bring it back, but that could be really cool. We have gone down a digression rabbit trail of how to optimize <laughs> ChatGPT, and we are at time. Um, I want to thank everyone for being here. Thank you all for being here. I did want to give each of you one final word. And what are the one or two items you would encourage nonprofits or nonprofit leaders that are thinking about using it in marketing and fundraising to walk away with from today's call? Um, Nicole, I'll let you go first. And then Tim, you can close us out. Trust, but verify. So like trust that it is capable, but verify that it is correct will be the first thing. And experiment would be the second thing. Like just play. Don't take it so seriously. Just like experiment and see what you can do with it. Yeah. Great advice. Instead of scrolling TikTok, 
uh, play with ChatGPT one evening. Yeah. Uh, great thoughts, <laughs> Tim. Yeah, uh, dive in. Do not do not wait for this. This is a this to me is as big as the iPhone. Dive in and use it. And it is citizen. This is the ChatGPT is the first citizen AI, I think. And so dive in, see what it does. Um, and and exactly what Nicole said. Play with it. Ask it for really big, make really big asks, and then see what happens. And never, never just leave one thing alone. Ask it again, and then ask it to evaluate what it just told you, and you'll find that the results get get more refined. Yeah, love it, Tim, Nicole. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here and giving us kind of this primer on AI's implications for the nonprofit sector. I'm sure we will be doing this again in a couple of months because everything is changing so quickly. And I would love to have you all come back. Uh, thanks again for being here in the audience. And we do these sessions every month, uh, not always on AI, but around nonprofit marketing and fundraising. Thanks everyone for being here. Tim, Nicole, thanks again. We'll see you, uh, you. on the flip side. Yeah, cheers everyone. Good Marketing Unplugged would like to give a special thanks to our producer, The Good Podcast Company, and to Feather's very own Max Anderson, who wrote and performed our theme song.